Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for the power of your word. I thank you that you are speaking to us, that you are ministering to us, that your word is able to uh, do amazing things in our lives. And I pray, Father, this morning that your word would truly come and shift our hearts and uh, cause us to love you more and to follow you more and to seek your face more. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we made it through 2020. Woo! Pretty awesome to think that we made it through the most ridiculously crazy year. And uh, I think we've seen the role of the church challenged like never before. I don't know about you, but I've been watching things shift and things change and and things shake around us. And I feel like the the role of the church has truly been challenged on on every level, not just in our own uh, neighbourhoods and in our own city and in our own nation, but worldwide. And uh, when we take away the buildings, who are we in actual fact? You know, I've heard stories about some people in other churches that have kind of gone, you know what, this has kind of been cool being at home and uh, not having to go to church every single week and just serve, 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 serve and do, do, do. And so there's going to be a lot of challenging thinking that is happening in people's hearts and in people's minds. And I think that's okay. It's okay for disruption to happen. And uh, in fact, I think the disruption is going to continue. It's still upon us. And I think it will continue. Uh, We all hope it won't, but I have a sense and I have a sneaking suspicion that it is going to continue. So we have to really ask ourselves, how will we respond to meet the hour as the people of God? I think that's a really important question for us to ask ourselves. Will we have the right mindset moving into this coming season? And uh, in, in 2021, as we start this year, I would really love to frame for you how I believe, how Brahman and I believe we need to live. You know, soon we're going to be doing, you've, you've heard it since last year, we've been saying how we're going to be doing a series on the book of Revelations and the end times. And uh, it's quite extraordinary when you start to really get into it and Brahm is the most incredible academic and theologian. I know, I'm very biased, I know, but... Uh, I know that that's going to be amazing, so uh, we won't say exactly when, but it will be soon. But that really contextualizes and uh, helps us to understand who we should be in this world and who we should be in this life as the people of God. Now, you might say, well, I'm just an individual trying to get on with my life. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. But you're also a member of the body of Christ. And when God talks to his people, he talks to his body. And when he talks to his body, that is all inclusive of you and I as individuals. So, you know, who should we really be? And it leads me into my, this thinking that, that uh, this thought that I had that basically individualism is a killer. When we start to take on an individualistic kind of mindset in our lives, and that is so prevalent in the Western world, you just have to go to Indonesia. I mean, we heard Brahm crying earlier because he aches and he longs for that community a sense of family. And he does not have that here. We've got a big family. We've got a big church. But we, it, it's, it's not like it is in, in Asia. We don't live, it, our society does not lend itself to that. And so when, when we have an individualistic mindset, when that's at the base of our thinking, it's actually deadly. And as human beings, when we live that way, it's not good. But even as a corporate entity, as the church, when we just think about the church as a corporate singular entity, it's, it's deadly uh, when we think of it in the wrong way. In, in Jeremiah 29, verse 7, and I, I am going to try and get through this morning. I don't want to be too long, 
But there's a lot in my heart, and if it means we have to tip over into next week online to keep going, I will do that. But I want to get off my chest, off my heart, what God has placed on me, this burden in my heart that has been building for a couple of years now. And I feel like it's coming to a sort of a fullness of expression. But in, in Jeremiah 29, 7, uh, this is what he says. He starts off by saying this, But seek the welfare of the city... So this is the prophet prophesying on behalf of God. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. So basically in this particular verse here, Jeremiah is pointing out the power of immersing ourselves into a corporate identity of a city. This is what God is saying through this prophet. He's saying, I want you to immerse yourself into the corporate identity of the city. How? By serving it. By serving it. By serving it in prayer. So this is God challenging the mindset of these people. Remember, it's God who has sent them. We're into exile. All right, we'll come back to that. But listen to verse 8. But do not let your prophets and your diviners, he's not talking about the, uh, the place that they're in exile. He's not talking about the people of the city. He's saying, don't let your prophets and don't let your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream. So it's not saying they don't have dreams. It's not saying that they don't have words and they're not receiving something. But he's saying, don't listen to them, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. In other words, he's he's saying to these people, be astute, clear-minded, intelligent believers. Don't be deceived, even by prophets, inverted commas, in your own ranks who are giving false prophecies. And then he goes on to say, verses 10 and 11, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon... Wow, 70 years. See, with God, timing is everything. Where are they? They're in exile. For how long? 70 years. Okay. He says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. See, he's saying this not, you know, we, we like to quote that in little, you know, decorative boxes on Instagram. For I know the plans that I have for you. And it becomes this little thing. Now, he's saying this in the sense, stop listening to the false prophets. Stop listening to the people who see wrong things. I am putting you into a place that you're not going to feel comfortable with. You are in exile, but this is how I want you to live. And if you read back earlier, he says, go and have families. Go and get married. Get your sons and your daughters married. Get children, multiply, live your life. Immerse yourself in this city and you pray for it and you seek the welfare of that city. You look and put your eyes on them because when you put your eyes on them, guess what? Their welfare will become your welfare. What blesses them will become your blessing. And that's what he's saying. And there he says, and you know, and therefore, you know, wait for 70 years. I will visit you. Then I will fulfill my promise because you know what? I know the plans. I have plans for you. Stop trying to uh, stop the plans 
or interfere with my plans. Get out of my way and let me be in charge. That's what God's saying. So this is not a nice little gif, jif, I don't even know how you say it. One of those things. This isn't a nice little business that we start on social media with nice little, for I know the plan. No. See, God is serious about the timing for his people and the purposes for his people. And that's why he said in verse 9, don't believe your prophets because he had other plans that didn't make sense. So summary of that scripture basically says this, God put them there deliberately. In fact, it says, I sent them. He sent them. He told them how to live as his representatives. How? By focusing on the people, not focusing on their needs, not demanding their rights, not by standing up and saying, this is a Marxist government, this is a socialist, communistic government. No. He said, I want you to go in there and I want you to seek their welfare. Don't worry about their belief system. We're going to sort all that out later. Just trust me. Seek their welfare. Seek their blessing. And he says, and now you beware of your own who want to prophesy otherwise. They were directed by God to seek the good of the country where they were captives. This is their, these are their captives. They're, they're, they're captors. While the king of Babylon protected them, and I'm reading what a, a commentary guy said here, they must live quiet and peaceable lives under him in all godliness and honesty, patiently leaving it to God to work deliverance for them in due time. All right, so that's who we should be. But what is the problem that we have now? How has individualism come in and ruled the day in our current society? It's such a dangerous kind of philosophy, guys. It's all embedded and rooted in self-interest. And there's zero immersion of self into the corporate identity that, that God was speaking through Jeremiah. And when we have individualism as humans and even as a single church body just listening for our own individualistic good, guess what happens? We begin to develop a tribal mentality. And it goes against absolutely everything that God loves. Because he loves it when you and I live for other people, not for ourselves as individuals or ourselves as a corporate church. And the ugliest thing ever is when we only live for our own sakes, when we prioritise our own safety, when we prioritise our own security, our own peace over that of other people. And you know what? That's when trading occurs. When we trade something of ourselves in order to get something back for ourselves. And I believe it's prevalent in the church and God is highlighting it to us yet again. So I want to speak to you today about trading. Don't fall for the culture of trading. Don't fall for the culture of trading. It's in every aspect of our society. I'm not talking about going out and going to the shops and trading. I'm not talking about that trading. I'm talking about manipulating circumstances for our own purposes and our own good. Because we are facing a crisis. Now, the reason... Brahmini heard I wanted to speak on this. I was actually going to do it a couple of weeks ago online. But when I told him what I was going to share, and he said, I want you to start the year in Hawthorne. I want you to do this live because this is going to set where we are going and assess the mindset and the mentality that you and I have to have to be strong disciples of Christ. But we are facing a crisis, almost like an existential crisis for the Pentecostal church. You know, where there is individualism on a grand scale. And what is that? That's just basically self. Anyone who's doing DMS, you know what it is to have self 
as the preeminent aspect of our life. It, it doesn't lead anywhere good. We see where there's the misuse of spiritual gifts. And like we also learn in DMS, that that's just self again, and it's flesh, and it's soul power. It's manipulating things with, with what we want. And, and, you know, we just read about that in, in Jeremiah, saying don't listen to your prophets and those who have dreams. doesn't deny the fact that dreams are there. They're just not from God. They're just not from him. And we see in this current church society, especially in the Pentecostal church, a crisis of trading. And when I talk about that, I'll explain what I mean. But it's basically self-advancement. When we figure out that our timing is better than God's, and it's so ugly because it's not who we should be. That's why God said to, through Jeremiah, it's going to be 70 years. The timing is mine. It is not yours. You cannot push it. You can't demand it. You can't fight for it. You can't start a war over it. I'm the one that holds time in my hands, and it's God's timing. Seeking self-advancement as the church immediately separates us from others because there's no immersion into, as a blessing into society. When we seek ourselves, can you see what I'm saying? When we have an individualistic mindset as the church and we pull ourselves apart and we start fighting for our rights and we start saying what we want, there's no immersion into society that blesses them. It's trading and I see this. We, we've seen this. And, I, and I, I'm going to say some things today. And I, want, I, don't, I, want you, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. But we have literally, like we, it would be wrong for us to continue on merrily this year without addressing what we have literally just seen play out in America. In a certain aspect, a certain stream of the American church in America. Where there were false prophecies given about a, a, a political outcome. And you know what? It's left people extremely confused. Um, it's interesting because, uh, you know, I, I read a lot of things and I, I watch a lot of things and I'm listening and I'm praying about a lot of things. And just, just to see the confusion that has happened in America because of the prophecies that were, were being given for a particular specific uh, political outcome. Now, you know, I'm not talking about the politics with this. Don't hear what I'm not saying. You know, it seems like the minute you mention Trump's name to, to sometimes people begin to manifest. But, you know, we just need to get a grip on our thoughts right now and listen. This is not about Trump. This is not about a man. He's just a man. In fact, if anything, I believe he's been played. I believe he's been, uh, uh, he's been played um, by the very uh, elements of the church that have manipulated and traded their way in into a political realm, into a political position. And our role as senior leaders is to judge and assess what is going on with the church. We're not interested in politics. We're not interested in politics. It's got nothing to do with politics. But listen to this. This is what's happened after those prophecies obviously didn't come to pass. There was someone who wrote this. I just listened to one pastor who said that if his prophecy was not fulfilled, it was because the people didn't have enough faith and didn't pray hard enough. So he essentially is blaming his church members. Well, biblically, that's already wrong. And you have to do DMS and learn. $100 starts on that. No. But we have to be intelligent believers. In fact, I want to start a new school on the supernatural. Sometime this year, we're going to develop these thoughts and make them really solid. But this is terrifying. No pastor has the right to stand in a pulpit and use a place that is meant to feed the people of God and basically get up there and say, that word was not fulfilled because you didn't pray hard enough. 
For him to say that, I'm sorry, but he does not know his Bible when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit or to, or to prophecy. Another one said, I just listened to another yesterday who stated that his prophecy was correct. So these are pastors basically uh, saying why, they're, they're now saying, well, my prophecies were right. I'm right. So there's no humility here, okay? He said, my prophecy was correct that Trump did indeed win, but that it was stolen from him. Like, how powerful do we think God is? Like, if, does God, like, if God is going to prophesy something and we declare it and, and it's really from God, do, do you really think we can stop it? He says he believes it was stolen from him. He went on to say that if there were those in his church who had a problem with that, then maybe this wasn't the church for them. This is what's happening. I, I spoke to, to um, you know, Carvin's auntie in America a while back. She said, Di, you have to pray for the Church of America. It is so divided between pastors. This is what's happening in the body of Christ in America. And you might say, well, that's America. No, 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 no. What happens in America happens here. It, it overflows to here because we see it all the time. So, And there are other examples which I won't take up time giving, but... When we begin to uh, have to verify and validate something that is just plain wrong, then there's something really wrong and twisted with our mindset and our understanding. And so, you know, in Jeremiah 5, 30, 31, it says, An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule at their discretion. My people love to have it so, and there were many people that wanted those prophecies to come to pass, but listen to this. But what will you do when the end comes? In other words, what happens when it doesn't come to pass? And there are a lot of people confused. So we're talking about the role of the church now, the power of who we are in a city and in a nation. And we are going forward into 2021. Disruption will still be amongst us. It will be our language. It will be the system that we live under and in, and we are called to be a blessing. And we are called to stay ahead of that disruption. So, you know, when we, sit, when we sit, seek that self-protection and that self-advancement, it's so individualistic and so tribal mentality. And when you look at the whole flow of what happened in America, it's because they inserted themselves into politics and they traded. And, you know, people say, well, it started in the 1970s when they started these particular movements. But that's actually not true. That's just when they looked for a party to align themselves, a political party. The Bible says we are of a, we're not of this world. We are of a different kingdom. We don't have to align ourselves to any political party. We are a kingdom that is above that. And yet that's what they did back in the 70s. However, long before that, in the 20s and 30s, church leaders actually enmeshed themselves in the politics. And uh, they promoted the kind of philosophy that said, we support you, we'll support your, prop, your, your party if you will protect our doctrines and our interests. Right there, that is trading. That is trading. You look after me, you look after us and our interests and our doctrines, and we'll look after you. We'll support you and get your agendas through, and we'll vote for you, and we'll tell all our people, and then we'll prophesy about it. And then, of course, after they inserted themselves politically, they prophesied falsely. It's a double whammy. It's a double whammy. Now, it's one thing to get into politics to uphold your personal beliefs and commit to good governance of people. That's awesome. Go for it. If God's calling you that way, absolutely do it. But it's another thing altogether to say that you are representing God and you're representing the church. 
You know what? I'm part of that church. You're representing me now by declaring what God Almighty in fact wants. And we all have biases. So then to overlay that with prophecy on behalf of the church, that's when it becomes soulish. Now, if people are going to do that, then it's our job to judge. You know, you can, you can prophesy in a, in a life group. The, the, word, the Bible says that the, the prophecy has to be judged in a life group. It has to be done there. If you prophesy here today in a local church, that prophetic word, if we felt it was a little bit off, would have to be, would have to be judged here. When people prophesy on the world stage, they better damn well expect that people of the same stature are going to begin to judge on that same world stage. Because it's a misuse and it's an abuse of the gifts of God. And this is what I want to really hone in on. When we begin to trade something so precious as the gift of God, you know, we become blind and we become deaf to God's voice and we just literally become a loud clanging symbol. That's why I said we're facing an existential kind of crisis in the Pentecostal church. The world just looks at us and laughs because we have demeaned the very thing of, the, of the, the power of the Word of God. We lose our prophetic voice when we lose our ability to do this well, when we lose our saltiness. You know, there have been two crises that I've witnessed and one of them was back in 2008. Most of you will remember this when a young man, I won't say his name, a young pastor in Australia lied to every one of us, including Brahm and I, that he had cancer. He made it to the Hillsong stage of their conference on the last night with his oxygen tank on, 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 on his, uh, connected to him. It was all a lie. And he raised thousands of dollars from people. He had a lot of sympathy, but it was all based on a lie. Five weeks later, we had him at Manifest. You know, I, I, I got him a, a smoking room at the thing because he told me he had to have medicinal marijuana. Who's dumb? Me. Where were the gifts of discernment? Where were the gifts of the Holy Spirit? God allowed us to go through that as a church. It, was, it rocked the Pentecostal church in Australia. But now we see it again where there's been a misuse now on an international level. And I know it's rocking Australia. I just have to look on social media and see the arguing and the disagreement and the, and the nastiness of, of it's confusing a lot of people. So we see this misuse, this trading that has gone on. And when we see that, we see even the world looks at that and goes, what is going on here? You know, when we, in America, when they were doing this, they were basically trying to save their tribe's interests in that nation. And even people in the, in the media were questioning things. It's crazy. One of them said, Trump evangelicals sought to recover their loss of social influence through the cynical embrace of corrupt power. That was a Christian journalist who wrote that. So... We become a joke. And yet are the gifts of the Spirit real? Is God's timing real? Can we put our hope in the things that God has said in the Bible when he talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, when he talks about dreams and interpretation, when he talks about prophesying and declaring and you will see it to pass? Is there a reality in that? How are we going to respond? How are we going to respond to this crazy trading culture that has come up in the Western, Western societal part of church. You know, we've been given an incredible example to learn from. And the last few weeks, if you've been watching the, the series online, been just drawing from Joseph's life in Genesis. And uh, in Genesis 37 through to 50, basically, 
He, it's just the most incredible story of this young man who did everything that was opposite to trading. It's the most incredible story. It's so moving. As I was listening to it, I, was, I remember listening to the Bible and as I'm in the car going shopping, I'm in Audi and I've got my earphones in and I'm listening and I had to stop every few seconds to write down on my phone things that I, that, that I was realising as I was listening to this story. But there was no individualism in this guy. There was no trading in this guy. There was no misuse of spiritual gifts in this guy to manipulate the circumstances around him. He treasured the call of God. He treasured the plan of God. And he treasured the timing of God for that plan. What a challenge to all of us right now. You know, this guy was a 17-year-old kid when God gave him two dreams that told him about his future. And then, of course, if you've been following the story, you know that his older brothers betrayed him. They were jealous of him. They basically sold him into slavery in Egypt, and they sold him to a, a guy who was the captain of the guards for, the, for Pharaoh. And this guy was very blessed. It says that he, the Lord blessed uh, the Egyptian's household. The name of the guy was Potiphar. He, he blessed that guy's household because Joseph was there. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had. And in, and in the end, he left Joseph in charge. So this was the blessing. But also, he was a very handsome man. This is what the Bible tells us. And so eventually, the wife of Potiphar, uh, the slave owner, uh, said, you know what? Sorry, not the slave owner, the, the prison guard, captain of the prison guard. She uh, eyed him off and lusted after him and tried to seduce him. Well, he took off. He wanted to protect himself, so he took off. And, and then later on, she lied and, and about him and said that he had actually raped her. And, of course, the story goes that he gets thrown into prison, unjustly, but he was thrown into prison. And then two guys come, up, come along that used to serve the king, and the king got upset with them. One was the baker and one was the cupbearer for the king. And he got angry with them, chucked them into the same prison that Joseph is now in. And these guys both have separate dreams. Now, I want you to see how God's timing is so perfect and how God uses something so precious as the gift of, of God. When God says to us, we can dream dreams. You know, my spirit will be poured out in the last days. My sons and daughters will prophesy. My old men will dream dreams. That is something so holy and so precious for you and I. And to watch that be demeaned, to watch that be absolutely monetized and weaponized has been the most devastating thing for me. It's been absolutely devastating. And yet, so here's this, these two guys, right? They both have separate dreams. With, and it says in the Bible, these dreams had their own separate interpretations. And basically, it picks up in Genesis 40 verse 7, and, and, and Joseph says, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Oh, just that alone, what a beautiful man. He acknowledges everything comes from God. He doesn't go, oh, you know what? I've got a ministry in this area. I've actually wrote a book about dreams. And I, I, I wrote a book about interpretations. Come to me. I'll, I'll sell you. I'll give you, you know, a bit of money. You give me a bit of money and I'll give you the interpretation for his dreams. He goes, you know what? Interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. So Joseph goes on to interpret the dreams and his reliance is totally in God. And you know what? Everything he said happened exactly as, as, uh, as he told them. And he says to the cupbearer who ended up living, the other guy didn't live, he got killed, but uh, the cupbearer lived and he said, only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh 
and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. But it says in verse 23, yet the cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. All right? So Joseph's in jail. When he's 17, he has two dreams that tell him he's going to rule over his, his own family, including his own parents, and they're going to come and bow down to him. He gets thrown into a well. He gets sold into slavery. He gets put into to jail now for something that he did not know. Part of that journey has he done the wrong thing, but he's trusted in God. Now, there's something that we have to, not just we should learn, we have to learn in this story. Because I'm so tired of seeing so many Christian brats screaming at God, screaming at the world, demanding their rights. It's, it's devastating. This is what a true disciple looks like, someone who knows how to die daily, who knows how to live and wait for God. You know, I talked about the art of waiting a few weeks ago. I talked about the power of suffering because suffering is the lifeblood of character. And at the end of character comes hope, God's hope, godly hope, to live for the purposes of God. You know what it says in the very next verse, in chapter 41, verse 1? So it says in the last verse, the guy didn't remember Joseph but forgot him. And then in the very next verse, and this is what stood out to me as I was driving my car listening, it says, after two whole years. Wow. I thought, why did God put that in there? I stopped the car. I thought, after two whole years. This guy is in jail. He knows God's got a purpose for him. He knows what God has shown him. He knows that there's something good coming. All he's had is tragedy, grief, betrayal, jealousy, suffering. That's all he's experienced. In a few weeks' time, we're going to, be talk, we're going to talk about grief. That's going to be a doozy, but we're holding off on that one, okay? This guy was holding grief this whole time, but this is how much he prioritised and allowed the purpose of God and the call of God to lead him rather than his grief. And, and he didn't push, he didn't, he didn't write letters, he didn't send emails, he didn't, try, he didn't ring the guys that he knew, he didn't, he didn't try and get notes through the jailer to the, to the cupbearer and say, hey, 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 pick me, pick, don't, don't, you know, don't forget what I've done for you. He waited because the fear of God was on him. He knew he had to wait. He knew he had to surrender. He didn't know what was about to happen. If you've read the story, we all know what's about to happen. It's so exciting. But he didn't know that for all he knew. He could have been there for another 10, 20, 30 years. Sometimes when we wait for God, we look like losers, guys. Sometimes when we're waiting for the purpose of God, the grief is so overwhelming. But we wait and we suffer because the call of God is too precious to us. The destiny is too magnificent. Where we're headed is going to bring not just a blessing for us, it'll be a blessing for the whole city that we are embedded into, that we are enmeshed into. But when we fool around with the power of God, when we fool around with the Word of God, when we fool around with the gifts of God, and we act like babies, spiritual babies, it makes a mockery of everything 
that was done at the cross, and it certainly makes a mockery of the churches, the underground churches who have, that lead millions. They sit on floors. They don't have this. You know, this is all kind of, it's beautiful, but it's just nothing. This is not going to build our church. The word is what will build your, your lives. That's what will build us as people. So what does this guy do? He waits. So after two whole years, now guess what happens? And remember, God puts those words in. There's not one word put in the Bible that God doesn't know about. So he wants us to realise there's a waiting period. Remember he said to Jeremiah, after 70 years, there's a purpose in God's timing. He says the Pharaoh had a dream had dreams. In fact, he also had two dreams in a row. And he got very troubled in his own spirit by these dreams. He asked all his magicians the meaning, but none could help him. And then the cupbearer, see the, the linking of God, the cupbearer, the little old cupbearer that was in prison, who'd had a dream. He didn't even have to have the dream. The dream was just telling him he was going to get out. He was going to get out anyway. He didn't have to have the dream. God gave him the dream so that Joseph could get involved. But Joseph still had to wait. He didn't then make a, a, a quick exit for Joseph at that time. No, a whole two years went by. And suddenly Joseph, uh, the cupbearer, remembered that he'd forgotten Joseph's request and he felt bad. So he relayed how Joseph, this guy that he'd met in prison, was actually accurate in his ability to interpret. And you know what happened? Immediately, immediately, Pharaoh called for Joseph out of prison. In fact, it says, Joseph washed his face, got dressed, and bang, he was out of there. And even then, when Pharaoh asked him in verse 16, Joseph answered Pharaoh, just the humility of this guy, he says, it is not in me, but God will give Pharaoh a favourable answer. This is a guy who's had powerful dreams from God. I love his humility and his utter reliance on the gifts of God. There was no presumption in him, no agenda. And then he begins to say, and the wisdom of God begins to flow off his tongue, and he says, and the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that this thing is set by God. Remember, he'd also had double the dream. And he said, and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. And he goes on to, to lay out, you need to, you need to proceed and appoint overseers, you need to take one-fifth of the produce of the land and during the seven plentiful years. And he begins to interpret the dreams with the wisdom of God. Remember, he's already said only God can interpret it, but as he opens his mouth, the wisdom of God begins to come out of his mouth. And then, and then you need to gather them and store up the grain and then and keep that, and that food will then be a reserve for the land. And he, he gives, lays out the whole plan as the Holy Spirit is literally coming upon him, the hand of God that the Bible talks about, the Old Testament talks about. And then this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this? Remember, because Joseph said, now let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man who will do all these things. And Pharaoh says, can we find a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Now Pharaoh is recognising this is an Egyptian leader who doesn't know the things of God. And he is now recognising there is something special about this man. See, we don't have to go telling everyone there's something special about us. 
We don't have to broadcast and we don't have to promote ourselves. When God does it, He does it so fast. He does it so powerfully. And then we begin to realise all these years He's been preparing us. All these decades He's been putting character as we've suffered, as we've gone through things. The, 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 the truth of God is permeating our spirits and permeating our hearts. We're learning what it is to dig deep in God and to go through the pain of living. Is life painful? Yes, it is. All of us. I know what it's like. I'm alive too. Brown and I both are prone to depression. We're, our kids are all prone to depression. We're all prone. And then you, go, then you become senior pastors. Give me a break. That's like saying, kick me while I'm down. <laughs> and bash me up and stab me in the back while you're at it. But, you know, we've had all of that. But the call of God, the dreams of God, the, 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 the waiting on the timing of God. And when I see sections of the church preempting that and being soulish, you know what that is? That's nothing more than wisdom from below. That's earthly wisdom. And the Bible calls that earthly, natural, and demonic. And we don't want anything to do with that. So now what does Pharaoh say? He says, since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. See, the world sees wisdom. They recognise wisdom. We don't have to call ourselves. We don't have to have titles. I don't have to be Dr. Reverend anything to promote the fact that I might have wisdom. When we speak, when we minister, when we live our lives, we can expect the Spirit of God to give us wisdom to speak through us. And what does he say? You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Suddenly, Joseph's two dreams are happening before his eyes. Suddenly, he goes from prison, from being a loser to the whole world, the rejected, betrayed baby brother of the big boys, Probably all had muscles and, you know, probably all had tats, the whole thing. You know, he's this skinny little guy that got chucked into the well. And yet here he is. The very thing that God spoke to him in the dreams has happened. The whole two years. There was no trading from Joseph. He treasured the gifts of God. He had self-control. He had so much. And yet God did what he needed to do, and he redeemed his people in his timing. Do we really think that we can build church ourselves? Do we really think we can do? Do we really think we can navigate and negotiate this season ahead of us in our own strength? Do we really think we can distort the word of the Lord and prophesy for our own good out of our own soul, twist something so holy for our own personal selfish desire? You know, Joseph didn't dare to do that. He feared God. And he treasured the call. In fact, I love it because even when Joseph asked him, he didn't say, you know, get me. I'm the one. Use me. He basically says, you need to select a man. He was so humble. He left everything. So that was the, the ultimate test for this guy. He still didn't trade. He still didn't say, hey, I've got wisdom. I know what to do. Use me. No. Because you know why? Because he's putting the needs of the people before his own personal needs. He served Egypt, he served Pharaoh, and he could see that the needs were going to be for the people. They would need uh, the the seven years of abundance to take them through the seven years of famine. So he did not insert his own needs 
right in that moment, and he certainly did not misuse the gift that God had given him. You know, this whole thing of Christian nationalism, and I'm going to finish up now. I've got too much more to say, but I'll say it another time. I can get carried away with this stuff, but I'll save it for another time. But, you know, this whole thing of Christian nationalism that is uh, sweeping so many Western places and, and not, doesn't obviously represent everyone in the church. There are many Christians in America, in Australia, who would totally disagree with that. But you only need a loud group of people to keep being loud and brash and aggressive and assertive. And, and we, there comes a point where we have to stand up and go, well, actually, that voice does not represent me. You know, that voice, that prophet in amongst us, no, we're not going to listen to that because that is not true. You know, it reminds me in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, when the, the children of Israel or the, the disciples, sorry, came to Jesus and said, because they were wondering what's going to happen now. You know, Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's there with them. He says, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? And, of course, what does Jesus say? He says, no, you're going to wait because you, the power of God will come upon you. When you wait, the fire of God that you need to enable you to be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, then the outermost ends of the earth. His solution was not a, a, a solution of this world. His solution was of the kingdom of God. And guys, that's what you and I need. We need the power of God. And this power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be my witnesses. In other words, you will be my martyrs. In other words, you will know what it is to die to yourself. That does not sound like trading to me. That sounds like immersing ourselves into a city around us that is barbaric and hates us and despises the one we represent. But we live to love them and we live to serve them and we live to pray for them. Guys, as we head into 2021... Let's remember that we don't want to be this modern-day culture church. Let's not forget that the power is ours. When you contrast all of this to, of God's perspective to human's perspective, it's incredible. And I'll end with this thought. You know, God always has a plan. From chapter 37 in Genesis onwards, it's a story of God upholding and protecting his people Think about this, in the midst of another nation's foreign belief system. Jeremiah was talking to a group of people who were in exile. In Genesis, we're talking to a people who are going to be enslaved. God didn't tell them to fight for their beliefs, to be mandated nationally, to be institutionalised. Rather, he designed a protection plan for his people through whom the belief system would flow even as they were nestled in slavery in another nation. Think about that. You know, we kick and scream because we think, you know, we have to wear masks and, oh, my gosh, this is communism. Like, give me a break, guys. Go to, everyone go to Ambon. Let's all get on a plane, not now, but when we can. <laughs> Let me take you to Ambon and hear some stories from my family and know what real persecution looks like. We've got so many babies in Christendom right now because we've been fed this diet of what prosperity looks like and it's just wrong. It's just so wrong. You know, Israel shone in exile and slavery and we can't even shine in the midst of prosperity. I'm, I'm serious. 
God designed a protection plan. Thanks, Dave. You can come up. Wear your mask, Dave. He designed a protection plan because his, God, his eye is always on his people. And he doesn't, he's not on our doctrines. He's not on our, on our belief systems. He's on us. Not on authoritarian beliefs like the Pharisees. Do we want righteousness to exalt a nation? Of course we do. But that's not through mandating things. That's through us being salted with fire so that we don't lose our saltiness. People who have been salted with fire and yet Trump evangelicals sought to recover their loss of social influence through the cynical embrace of corrupt power. Can you see the contrast here? Now, come on, guys. Don't hear what I'm not saying. This has got nothing to do with politics. This has got to do with who we are as the church and how we choose to live our lives and how we immerse ourselves into the plan of God. So I want us to head into 2021 with a mindset that we are here to live for others, to love for others. We are going to navigate our lives. God's going to navigate us through from the wilderness to the fulfilment of the promises. There's always a wilderness between the promises that are given and the fulfilment of those promises. But if we will allow ourselves not to trade, let's not trade in our marriages, let's not manipulate and try and get stuff for our own sakes. Let's not do it in our workplaces. Let's not do it in our communities. Let's not do it with our neighbours. You know, I'm challenged with this all the, all, the, all the time. The more God blesses me with things, the more my natural carnal man wants to protect those things. And no, you're not allowed to cut that tree down next to my property. And then God reminds me, Diane, you need to pray for them because your testimony, like, this never ends because the temptation to get into the flesh and demand our rights is always there. But guys, we've got to wait on God, go through the suffering, trust God and not give in to the culture of trading. So are we ready for 2021? Are we ready to live as true disciples? We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how often we're going to get together. We're hoping for twice a month. But I think we can all see anything could change. Three days ago, we were going to come in here with no masks on. Now we're wearing masks. All right? But we're going to be strong in the Word of God. Amen. Let's stand. I want us to, I want us to end with that song, um, If Our God Is For Us, Then Who Can Be Against Us? I feel like really just absolutely declaring that song. And uh, yeah, thank you, Jesus.